0: And you can apply that across general life you know you go through good times you go through hard times and then when you're in the good times you're like well I'm kind of glad I had that bit of suffering there and I had this bit of um enjoyment there and I think that was definitely gratitude as a consequence of discomfort and it's certainly something I think both of us were trying to lean into whether it's like having that tough love aspect where we'll call each other out on something or we think one of us should have proven this way or that way <laughs> putting putting the ego aside and um <laughs> the peacocks.
1: Hey yeah, uh, I'm Johnny and you're listening to the Reflections Podcast. <laughs> doobie doobie, dooba doobie dooby dooba. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Reflections Podcast. Now, it takes a lot to travel with someone. And personally, I wouldn't hit the road with just anyone. But with Callum, I had someone who was also open to experience absolutely anything and everything like me. But more importantly, we really prioritized growth and we really helped each other grow. So September, October with Callum was not only fun, but it was extremely enriching. And having just freshly graduated, it can be an extremely exciting period of life, but also just completely full of uncertainty. And Callum and I were embracing that uncertainty. We were both seeking and receiving a lot of kindness in this uncertainty. We were camping out in the wild and we were making a lot of new friends and hopping on their couches, which was all so much fun. But, we think we grew most during the difficult moments. The moments where we may have felt a little lost, or frustrated, or tired, and experienced a certain amount of suffering. And it was really cool looking back at this month and a bit with Callum, and really seeing how that period of life had such a big impact on us. We had this conversation on a Zoom call last week at the end of June of 2023, And while I'm currently in Victoria on Vancouver Island on the west coast of Canada, and on the other line was Callum having fun in the Portuguese sun along with some screeching peacocks in the park. So a lot has happened since, and today Callum is now working in London, having traveled between finishing college in May of 2022 and February of 2023. But despite being in different places in our lives right now, our healthy relationship has not changed. We still do hold each other accountable and make sure that we're living up to our own personal commitments. So enjoy the episode and thanks so much for listening. And I hope you can find a friend and travel partner like I found in Callum. Cheers. And here we are nine months down the line from the day we stepped on our Royal air flight to Sofia. Alan, how's it going?
0: It's going well. I am sat at the moment at like a crossroads of all elements of my recent experience and especially our experience that we had um, traveling. So I'm I'm in Faro in Portugal, uh, in a peacock garden. There's oh. some peacocks screeching <laughs> in the background.
1: Class timing.
0: Um, but I'm heading back to London, um, to return to kind of the corporate lifestyle. <laughs> Off the back of a holiday that was relatively luxury by the pool, family holiday, really nice.
1: <laughs> yes, life has has changed just a wee bit since um, September yeah. of twenty twenty two. So, so you are now and the- at the end of a week's holiday, right? And uh, you're yeah. about to reflect on a month's traveling, and how mm-hmm. do you see the difference in? both those two things, but also in life right now. I suppose you find your identity shifting
0: depending on how you're living in the moment. And this is something we discussed while I think we were in the south of Turkey at the Rainbow Gathering Festival, which was crazy. <laughs> um, we are discussing kind of experiencing certain things and then trying to understand how our identities catch up to those experiences. Both how we represent ourselves just in life in general, but then how we feel about ourselves as well and I think when you're traveling you you're shifting between some many different modes of being and and states of consciousness where you're you're talking to different people you're experiencing different foods you're you really feel your identity kind of get pulled all over the place and as I mentioned there i'm I'm kind of at a crossroads here now obviously I'm heading back to london
1: I'm heading back to the the working life. A flexibility in your identity, I guess. And and when you're traveling, mm-hmm. you're just automatically making this, you're, you're switching the switch to not necessarily be this fixed Callum or fixed Johnny. You're completely open to experience. You're open to talking to all kinds of people. And then when we're at home, we can definitely retract a lot more. And that just happens naturally. Mm-hmm. And it's no one's fault. But I think uh, if you have a, a conscious element of um of wanting to and wanting to still have that travel mindset when you're at home or even in the corporate world then I think you can still benefit but yeah how are you finding this London corporate life (laughs) it's a very different world to where we were in September
0: yeah it is um and I suppose in some ways I've attempted to have my cake and eat it too moving to a new country obviously it's quite similar to ireland but you know london it's got eight times the population i think roughly of of uh dublin mm-hmm. all sorts of people in terms of diversity but and also the adventure and the responsibility responsibility of um living living on my own um that was a factor as well and so yeah there's been some steep learning curves but what i will say one of the biggest things I've been thinking about is the fact that I think traveling translates across to general, just general life skills. Mm-hmm. And whether you're working corporate, whether you're working like you're working as a digital nomad, whether you're in between states, I think the experiences that you have while traveling really translate and stick with you, whatever you're going to do in life. And then I learned stuff from you while we were traveling. Um, I learned stuff from people we, we met. And then you learn stuff from from things outside of maybe conversations with people, but just general experiences you're having, um, whether it be in in Istanbul, having a, a theolo- theology uh, <laughs> lecture, which we, which we experienced together. Or, um, I don't know, just different foods, different cars that you're jumping in and out of while hitchhiking or camping, or hitchhiking, and and then there's the wild camping as well. So, yeah, yeah, and um,
1: those peacocks definitely yeah. are agreeing with you there, <laughs> but um, or disagreeing. I don't know what their what their screeching is, but um, yeah, I, I think it's really. Alan and I met in our final year of college. And of course, we were close in final year, but it's so cool to look back and still have our our relationship. And I think our friendship is just so, it's so healthy in terms of how we grow together and how we push each other. I've never had a, a friendship like this where... I am extremely vulnerable with you sometimes, but I think we we really do learn from each other in terms of how our personalities mm-hmm. maybe match. But for that month, like, we were not only having fun, but we were very uncomfortable at times. And uh, that was a, a biggie for me.
0: Because
1: mm. I thought that I was going to go solo travel for... However long it was after college, and I, and I knew that that was going to be an enriching and growing experience. But, um, stumbling upon the opportunity to travel with you not only <clears throat> made me grow, but it made me grow in, in all kinds of ways that I I didn't expect. And, yeah, I'm, mm. I'm, kudos to to you for that too.
0: Yeah, and I think I certainly learned a lot from you. Um, I think we have a there is like a sense of tough love, their relationship, but it's like a benevolent tough love where both of us really just want to see each other succeed. Um, And you can take that to the extreme where you want to see each other succeed, even if one of us as individuals don't benefit directly from the other individual succeeding you could call it unconditional love or yeah. unconditional care. Um but also making the relationship work as well and making sure that thrives. And I think the dynamic with us two is is interesting because I think I can be sometimes maybe too assertive, maybe too ego driven. Um and I and I notice that in myself. And then when I'm with you, you're very strong emotionally very high um level of emotional intelligence and so i picked up on that while we were traveling and kind of learned how to cultivate that within myself and then i imagine you maybe at times saw my assertive side and thought well yeah i could i could um learn a little bit uh, from that and so really it's just oh, for learning sure. each and other
1: in terms of how we make yeah. decisions sometimes where maybe Mm-hmm. I was driven by a bit more impulse and following the heart and maybe you were a little mm-hmm. bit more thinking rationally and, and what would be the mm-hmm. best outcome uh, for the both of us um, and in a little bit more of a, a long term sense. I think we definitely were so compatible in that way, and but it not only takes the other person, it, it also takes a, a change in mindset to 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 acknowledge the fact that maybe our way or my individual way isn't necessarily the best way. And uh, it's really important when you're traveling with someone for a longer period of time to to have that uh, flexibility and uh, sensitivity to what the other person wants to do as well, because there are times where you might also just want to say, look I need a I need an hour on my own
0: <laughs> um, yeah yeah
1: but also I mean we didn't we didn't have too much solo time and we did have a lot of time together and I think the cool thing that we did was when we were hiking or or out in the middle of nowhere trying to get a ride have uh mm. these moments of silence of uh all right we're getting a little <laughs> frustrated right now like okay 20 minutes of silence. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I do remember one specific instance in the uh, Rila Mountains that may have involved raspberries and um, <laughs> very tired legs. Um, yeah, if you'd if you'd like to expand on that one, Johnny, and then I can uh, give some <laughs> insight as well.
1: I think that was a cool day because we woke up in um, Lake Iskar in Bulgaria. Uh, camping Mm -hmm. and uh there was no one around us too so that was that was pretty we were doing a lot of very raw things and just wild camping everywhere and and then hitchhiking and and we were lucky enough um in a a safe place to do that relatively i mean there's there's bad people Mm -hmm. everywhere and there's good people everywhere but bulgaria is an awesome place to do this because we felt very safe we uh we're just experiencing so much kindness. And I think when you ask for kindness, you find yourself receiving it, but you also find yourself giving it. And uh, it's just um, this kindness exchange all the time. But we we were camping in Lake Iskar and we woke up and we went for a swim by the lake. And I loved our mindset because we were not necessarily going anywhere specifically. We were so open to go anywhere literally just wake up and go like all right let's have mm-hmm. a we have a rough idea where we might want to get to but um we've got tents and we've got food and and it doesn't matter where we go so we woke up near like Iskar and hopped on a a couple trucks including Dimitri mm-hmm. <laughs> he was delivering bread and he ended up giving us a bunch um but we ended up going near the Rila mountains and I think that was our rough plan right
0: but by rough, do you mean like rough in terms of uh, <laughs> how intense it was, or rough, rough plan in terms? Of...
1: <laughs> I was talking about yeah. um, a penciled-in plan, but it did turn out to be quite rough. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We ended up uh, in a town called Borovets, and then we were like, "Well, let's let's start hiking up the mountain no? And we we had all our bags, all our shit with us. A lot of food. We bought some food. So we were we were prepped for whatever and started heading mm. up the mountain. And then realized that we were actually in quite a, a treacherous hike <laughs> with all of our yeah. shit. Um, And I think we started around maybe 11, 12. And it was quite hot. Mm-hmm. Even though we were quite high up. I think we started hiking at around... 1300 meters and ended yeah. up at um, 2300 I think 2300 the well the, that the was Musala Hut's 2300 Well, wow. yeah so we went up so a was, lot in a few hours with our bags and we were not prepped for that kind of hike um it was
0: seven hours
1: seven hours of um yeah
0: <laughs> of carrying very very heavy uh rock pack. but <laughs> When we talk about discomfort, yeah. it was really good. And in terms of the grunting and the raspberries, what happened was we were, I should say, maybe enjoying the uh, fifteen minutes of silence, but we were in deep pain with our calf muscles seizing up, and we hadn't ate a lot. And it was really, it was actually quite hot. It was so, and steep. we came across these, yeah, yeah, we came across these um, wild raspberries but we both knew that we needed to remain silent because we had decided together that we were going we weren't going to talk we were just going to embrace the trek and also i had been i'll admit i had been complaining at the start of the trek because it was i don't know there was something wrong with me and so we <laughs> found these wild raspberries we d- we started grunting <laughs> yeah we were having food it orgasms bit, it, was, it was a bit caveman like um <laughs> yeah yeah but uh no we really enjoyed those raspberries and I suppose it was it's trite but it was like the journey is the reward you know those those little those little raspberries that we were picking up and and our interaction with Nelly yeah that's when we met Nelly right
1: Um, who gave us her mm -hmm. some Ferrero Rocher chocolate which was just oh my god that in the spot we were definitely low Mm. on sugar and dying a little bit and I think she saw that I think we just, we didn't chat too much with her at that time. Well, especially since we were struggling so much. We finally made it to the top. And I know it's cliche to say no pain, no gain. But, oh my goodness, that feeling at the top was just so rewarding. It was so insane to arrive there and, and swim in the glacial lake. And then we camped mm-hmm. up there. And then we saw Nele the next day. And she hadn't slept she up. She appeared. There. She was hiking again with her dog. Mm. Can you remember the dog's name? I can't. Nele and, and Raya. Raya. Nice. And yeah. our guardian angels, to be honest, because Nele was saying how the, the weather was changing rapidly and you should probably head down because it's going to start snowing up here. We were like, no, nah, we're going to spend another night and we want we want to keep hiking around here. And she was like, yeah. no, <laughs> don't. And uh, I can lift you, just come with me. Luckily, we were still flexible and had a um, maybe uh, we should follow her kind of mindset. And uh, we ended up going, yeah down with her on the cable car, which we didn't know that was. I think the...
0: Obviously, we were writing reflections every day um, based on diary entries that were written. And I think the, the reflection for that day was pursue an opportunity that's too good to be true even if you have other uh, opportunities nice. and so we could have had a great time trekking down trekking back down and and getting a hitchhike but Nelly was so kind and she had really helped us get up the the mountain and then she offered to take us to I think it was Kostanet's train station Yeah, yeah I mean, um, train station. and then to Plovdiv and so we thought look Yeah, we love adventure. Yeah, we could go back down and have another crazy experience, but we're pretty exhausted. Nele's offered us an amazing opportunity here. There are some other great opportunities, but let's go for this one.
1: We had some food, hopped on the train from Kostanets to Plovdiv, and we were on our way. Yeah, and and she ended up buying lunch for us, and and Nele was not, she was an important person in Bulgaria. It was uh, Transport, I think, Minister of Transport.
0: Yeah, and it was interesting to hear her perspective. Um, because I think one thing that we did do while, while traveling was really try and understand other people's respect, uh, perspectives. And she gave us, I won't go deep into it, but she kind of gave us a political perspective of the EU um, as someone who's in Bulgaria. And I thought that was interesting.
1: And it's interesting because Bulgaria is maybe not as well developed, um as a place like Ireland mm-hmm. and there's a lot of corruption that still happens in Bulgaria. So it was really interesting <clears throat> hearing her perspective from the inside too. And there were lots of ways that we were trying to jump into other people's shoes. But um I think another example would be in uh, in in Turkey when um Wait, are are you thinking about the, the theology lecture? Yeah, yeah. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was there were so many examples where we were just trying to jump into the shoes of another person and really get to understand where they're coming from and and uh, um and this cultural difference that we had and uh, just trying to understand them more. And um, can you think of any other uh, experiences like that, Callum? I would say the when we went to
0: the Blue Mosque or the Sultanahmet Mosque. I think at the time it was closed um, and you couldn't go inside, but we were we were looking at the, um, the pillars of the Islamic faith and kind of trying to get a better understanding of that. And then the opportunity arose to kind of have a little um, uh, theology lesson with a group of students. And that was really interesting because I think as someone in the Western world, especially the very developed Western world, you see kind of religion falling by the wayside, but it's still very strong, very strong um, in the East. And so we had a, a theology lesson and we really got to understand Islamic faith. The girl that was, was doing the lesson, she really questioned us on a, us on what we believed. Um, And it was difficult. It was difficult to...
1: Yeah, and of, it's, it's it cool. made me question my faith, and um, and it's easy to say, oh, I don't know, I don't know what I don't know, and have this cynical, yeah. cynical point of view of uh, not necessarily knowing but finding faults in religions, um, of all kinds. I think it was a really big moment when we were there, and I remember coming out of that with you having this long conversation of, um, well. Maybe we we should stop being so cynical.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely the cynicism aspect. Like, I think at one point I said very cynically, I said the fact that humans think they know the answer proves that kind of there is no answer, you know. Mm. Um, But yet these ideologies or religions they provide that structure to to live your life. And it's great being formless and kind of having maybe the just the perspective that I'll embrace whatever comes at me, the, the snowstorm, the, the real mountains. But sometimes it's good to sacrifice and say, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to work within these constraints. I'm going to work really hard within them. And let's see how meaningful my life becomes when I constrain myself in certain ways under a certain ideology or under sure. a, a certain name. And I know some people would say you can do that without religion, but I think there's a reason why religion has been so prominent. And I think that's that's personally the conclusion I came came to when, when we were there.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can adopt that mindset for... Even when you're in the corporate world in London now, uh, you might not. I mean, just going back to religion, I think uh, there are so many things we can still learn. If, as long as we have an open mindset, to just, you don't have to be Mm -hmm. a a devout Christian or, or Muslim or whatever it is, or a Jew, but um, I think you can still adopt principles. Mm -hmm. My personal. Uh, opinion on that is uh, all religions have great principles all about humanity and how you treat other human beings and and your relationship with yourself mm-hmm. and your relationship with with God and however you define that but I think it's it's all a little bit of a, a broken telephone of just to remind yourself and it's a, it's a framework to be able to practice kindness and practice gratitude and practice compassion and love in different forms. Speaking of frameworks, um, (laughs) Callum is someone who, and I've learned a lot from you by doing all of these frameworks that you've kind of adopted to use in your everyday life. I mean, even Mm. when we're giving each other updates in the last couple of weeks, Callum has made a uh, a big Google doc on how he is going to be his best self. And I think it's brilliant because I learned so much from it. But uh, would you care to elaborate a little bit more about uh, how you do that, Callum?
0: Yeah, so I suppose in that instance, that was um, inspired by a podcast episode, which featured Andrew Huberman and Tim Ferriss. And they discussed the five factors of kind of high performance or just really making sure you feel good as a person and then you can work from there and get those five foundations um so that's what that that podcast was about and then I I I translated a lot of those lessons from them um into a into a google doc and kind of applied them to my own life and it's certainly like a pattern that I found within myself where I will look to people that are a lot more experienced than I am in a certain discipline or field. I will figure out what their kind of frameworks are. I'll adopt the framework and then apply it to my own life. Um, And I found it really helpful. The downside to that is that you have to sacrifice kind of a part of your identity a little bit. Um, because at the end of the day those frameworks weren't made up by you. Mm. So it's a tricky balance to strike because some people, if you go to the full ego spectrum, end of the ego spectrum, you would say, No, I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna be yeah, like this is how I'm doing it. I don't need to listen to anybody else. And then if you go to the other end of the spectrum of humility, you would say, I know absolutely nothing.
1: And at the end of the day, everything that you do know is affected by other people. And I guess you're just doing that a little bit more consciously with a bit more intention, right?
0: Yeah. And so it's kind of like when I said, oh, this is a podcast on the five factors of high performance. Like that, if you think about it, trying to be a high performer is an ego, egocentric activity. But how I'm trying to go about that is by kind of putting my, it's like a paradox because I'm like putting my ego aside, but then also trying to like, and having humility to like follow other patterns of behavior that I haven't come up with. But then I'm also trying to push myself forward. And so it's something I've been struggling with for a while is kind of figuring figuring out the balance between audacity and humility um. And I know when we were traveling, we kind of adopted the principle. Uh, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. <laughs> and there is a few instances where where that works, you know, but then you also kind of have to balance that audacity with humility. And so it's, it's a tricky line to straddle and, and figure out. And I suppose the best we can do is kind of, I don't know, be audacious in certain ways and then realize where we messed up or where where we could have been better and kind of learn from the failures so that next time you're you're a better person um, and you make better decisions.
1: I'm a firm believer as well in, in trusting other people too and other people's mm-hmm. kindness and what you'd feed grows. So when it whether it's hitchhiking or, or couch surfing or asking out of nowhere for a favor, sometimes it might not happen. But a lot of the time... If you ask for kindness, you do get it back. You know, if you don't, what's the worst that happens? I know everything's contextual yeah. and it's it's easy to say this and it's, it's in a very broad sense, but I guess if we're talking about our travel experience, it's okay to ask Um and it's okay if someone says no. So if you're on the side of the road with your, with your thumb out, mm. the worst yeah. thing you can do is be frustrated by people not picking you up because that no one's gonna pick up someone who's frustrated and angry and and doesn't look like they're in the best state of mind. But um, if you keep a smile on and, and you focus on that one person, all it takes is one person uh, to pick you up and to change your whole day and your whole experience that you're gonna have, I guess it's just focusing on that. So I think it, it depends on what you focus on too, right?
0: Yeah, and there's like a feedback loop as well. If you're in a good mood, the person that picks you up will be in a good mood. You know, like that happens so many times. Where and sometimes it takes a little bit to get out of the inertia, where like you need to kind of push the the ball down the hill. Ask them about their day, uh, see how they're feeling. What 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 are the what's their life like? Um, yeah, and and kind of understand their perspective, and then yeah, and yeah there's definitely like a mirror a mirror kind of dynamic when especially when you're you're hitchhiking if you if you put yourself out there and really
1: um be curious I think that happiness is a completely transactional process Mm. from my experience anyway. I know that I feel happier when I've put a smile on someone else and maybe it's because it's a completely contagious thing to smile. But Mm. if I can make someone feel a little bit better then I definitely feel better. And I think that's what happens a lot of the time when, when we jumped into someone's car and um, had the intention to be grateful for them to pick us up, but also to have this symbiotic relationship with who's driving you. Um, I guess your way of giving back to them is by like lifting their day a little bit more too. So it's a yeah. win-win.
0: Um. yeah I think we had a lot of instances of that I remember we got picked up I think it was on the way to the mountains by a, a man who who was in a bright orange <laughs> a bright orange truck and he was playing his rock and roll And I think what you also realise is there's just so many perspectives and lives and I suppose it's the word like sonder when you realise that everyone has as intricate a life as you And they have all their own experiences and perspectives and i think one thing that i find in myself is when i go into that sonder mode it gives me this level of empathy that like i don't really understand but i can just feel it where it's you can understand why certain people are the way they are and that even applies to people that that maybe aren't very nice to you or or they're having a bad time or you know and so you can kind of have this radical empathy with people and you could call it like you're rationalizing why they were but I think it's a very kind of emotional fun, there's like some emotional vulnerability there to accept that look yeah I, was, I wasn't mean to them and I didn't but then if you understand where they're coming from and where they're going and what has contributed to how they feel or yeah. how they're acting um i think it's something that's really helpful and then you can get the upside of that like you can in terms of people being really nice to you and and being so kind you can understand where that has come from as well and then you realize well it's probably come from people being kind to them and so really we're all just one big macrocosm of consciousness that we should really be kind to each other. I mean, if we got gathered the collective feelings and kind of emotions of everyone and made made it one nervous system, I'm not sure how that that would feel because there's a lot of pain out there, but there's also a lot of good, good and, and kindness and
1: yeah, a little bit yeah. of a tangent, but it, it's <laughs> interesting, kind of. And I think it's all about what you focus about on. That. But it's also really interesting to see the cultural differences to how we treat each other straight away. Like in a place mm. like Bulgaria, from our experience, I don't think that it was as common to smile at someone on the street and get a smile back. And I, for one, am a smiler. So I, I search for those exchanges to even smile at someone on the street. And sometimes you get it back and in some places it's a lot more common to get it back and uh it does not mean that bulgarians as a whole and i know we're stereotyping here but um it does not mean that bulgarians as a whole are not as kind it just means that they express that form of kindness in a very different way and that goes i think down to the history of the place um what they've gone through together as a as a nation as a as a culture as an ethnicity as how many different types of people have migrated to there and how they treat each other and how they treat foreigners especially (laughs) but from my experience Bulgarians were so kind but you just had to get to know them a little bit to see that kindness and we did not get many smiles in the park um, I remember on our on our second day, we were like, is everyone grumpy? <laughs> um, I think uh, I do recall one instance, Johnny, where you're
0: on the bench and you took your shirt off. And uh, it wasn't very welcomed by a, a specific policeman <laughs> that was kind of Roman or, or park guard that was like roaming the park. But <laughs> he kind of came, but he didn't. He didn't assertively tell you to put the, the shirt back on. He kind of just hovered over to us, levitated over to us.
1: Yeah, I and mean, we
0: sat himself out him. <laughs> on the bench and kind of, he was saying, you know, uh, implicitly, like, I am the authority, put your shirt back on, John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, and yeah, you, yeah, I think there's, if we were to stereotype, there is like this kind of hard exterior but underneath a very loving and family oriented and and caring um group of
1: people yeah and for that uh, these stereotypes i guess are there for some reason because of Mm. what a lot of people have experienced and seen but Mm -hmm. that is what travel has has taught us too right is um These stereotypes are one element of seeing a culture. But when you can go yourself and have your own experience, experience Bulgarian culture in in one sort of way, and get to know people, become have some awesome friends like Christina, Anna-Marie, Pavel, and Chris, and all of these people who gave us... Such friendship and and open arms and i mean just staying in Plovdiv with that crew was was better than we could have imagined in terms of our friendships we we gained and uh i'm peter too i can't forget you peter (laughs) Um, oh
0: legend legend (laughs) peter but
1: it was so refreshing to be able to have a completely different experience to what you expect in a place, and mm. of course, there's good people everywhere and, and bad people everywhere and like-minded people everywhere but um I suppose if I was to do my do the classic and apply a framework to it,
0: it would be what um Alexander Solzhenitsyn said when he wrote the Gulag Archipelago, he wrote a book that is basically a one long one very long screen really not to get too dark but one very long scream of what happened in the gulags in the the 20th century and the conclusion he really came to was like the line between good and evil it doesn't run across groups like there's not it's not a stereotype it's not a you can't assign like value or benevolence or evil to a specific group of people or a specific political party or it's that the line between good and evil runs through the heart of every person and it fluctuates like some days you're not a very nice person some days you are and i suppose if we can all just individual individually orient ourselves a little bit more towards the good um, Mm and like the guys like all the guys in bulgaria did that, that let us stay even maybe when they're tired or you know they're they really, really made us feel at home. And yeah, we're just amazing in their, their, their kindness and generosity.
1: Yeah. And I do believe what, what goes around comes around too. And, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost been a year for me now where I'm constantly asking for people's kindness. And of course, I'm looking to give that back. As much as possible but at the moment i can't quite take someone in when i don't really have a home but um i do yeah. hope to give that back this give and take relationship does mean that um you would hope that if you take so much you give it back to this i guess travel community and uh, i that's what these um These apps like Couchsurfing, it's not just an app, it's a community of people. And it is Mm -hmm. this energy of taking and giving um, back to the community. And so having stayed on so many people's couches, I hope to open my my apartment, hopefully at some point soon. (laughs) And I guess that's what it takes too.
0: Yeah, I suppose like even today... While we're recording this podcast, I, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm kind of in this, like, uh, I don't know, crossroads of kind of all my recent experiences where I'm I'm coming back from a nice, like, uh, holiday uh, by the pool, family holiday. I'm heading back to London to kind of go back to the work life, but at the moment I'm in Faro, Portugal, uh, and I decided I wanted to have a little day on my own kind of solo trip. And so I went into one of the hostels, um, kind of to re- relive those memories, but to just see what what was going on in that kind of environment because it's so different to, say, I don't know, uh, working in Dublin or working in London or working anywhere in the world and working in your office job. And the kindness that they showed today, it was so surprising but yet so evident. It's like, what did I expect? That's kind of the the people that are are in these places. Um, So for context, like they gave me a power bank a fully charged power bank after i mentioned we were trying to do this podcast to uh keep my phone charged because i have a terrible battery and then they also one of the girls like offered me an ice pop and like i'm just sitting there i went in and i i asked could i could i just chill out like it was like um, the nativity of like joseph and mary kind of you know not to compare myself to joseph and <laughs> mary but like you know you go into you go into the the um the inn and they show kindness and um, look after you. And and I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And I'm hoping, hopefully later, I can go back and say to them, like, is there anything you need help with?
1: Yeah. If we're talking about stereotypes here, I think it's all up to you, Callum. The responsibility is upon your shoulders to change people's view of corporate London life. (laughs) Bring that element of kindness in there Um, because if you give it a little bit you'll start receiving it a little bit more too. Um, Yeah. And this is a stereotype I know you're enjoying where you're working. Care to elaborate Mm. what you're doing actually? Yeah so I'm
0: working in a research consultancy um, and I'm an analyst there so I'm I'm researching investment distribution which is basically uh we are researching uh investment platforms for example I know in Europe Degiro is big and then you have like Hargreaves Lansdown that's another big company but it's very focused on like the direct to consumer market where you have like the the average investor the the average consumer not maybe wealth like highly affluent individuals but people that are just using these platforms similar to the way people our age use Revolut to kind of manage stocks and shares it's very consumer based uh, yeah but without getting too much into the weeds um i'm enjoying it and i'm finding kind of some level of meaning in the discipline and the focus and the the analysis that I'm doing, and there's a lot of writing in the reports and stuff like that. So, I th- I suppose it's it's finding the upside. It's very easy to go. Oh, I have to get up in the morning. Ah, oh, works at nine. Like, and I've 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 been like that plenty of times in my life. Um, but I'm really trying to kind of see where I can take on responsibility, find that little nugget of meaning, or and just enjoy the the process. I suppose
1: yeah and talking of uh meaning do you find that you're able to define your purpose better now having more structure and this job and um
0: in comparison
1: to that travel mindset you had last year
0: I think when you sacrifice sacrifice things it gives you a level of freedom I know there's like a book by um I think it's Jocko Willink who was like an ex-navy seal unbelievably disciplined guy, very successful. And I, I imagine is enjoying a very meaningful life because after all, success is just a word and like whether you're you can be wealthy and miserable. Um but he has a book I think called Discipline is Freedom. And so if we were to apply that framework, I haven't even read the book, but just the title Discipline is freedom. If we we're to apply that framework, imposing structure on yourself and then operate it. I think we talked about this earlier a little bit, but imposing structure On yourself and then operating within those constraints you'd be surprised how meaningful you can make your life by doing that but then you can also have crazy experiences and highs and just like moments that are blow you away when you take off all the constraints almost and we were kind of living that lifestyle when we were hitchhiking and camping so there's a balance i certainly have found a lot of like satisfaction in pushing myself and trying to see what pops out the other side when I do that but I also recognize that the necessity for like pulling back and and being able to relax and I think one way we definitely found that was um, by meditating together
1: I think those morning meditations were so awesome and how it brought us back down just a little bit and when you're experiencing so much and when you're doing so much we were so active and always on the go And a different kind of sense of always being on the go when you're in a a big, busy job, of course. But it's easy to uh, take these experiences for granted. And I think those meditations and, of course, we had a, a grateful journal every morning, too. And I think counting your blessings was really important when every day you're just hoping to experience more. And it's easy to have this. Sense of greed for experience and don't like, receiving and donic like treadmill. Yeah, yeah. But even when we yeah. were, you know, experiencing so much kindness, to kind of treat that as the the standard. Like every day, we were expecting people, and I think when you have those expectations, that's when you can be let down by people. But if you have no expectations and and you're just grateful for every single act of kindness or every single Thing that happens or even just being where we were um, and yeah. this m- mindset that we were and we had a college degree behind us and just making sure that we knew that um, we were f- focused on the various things we had say whatever we had we had a hundred things and not focused on the the one thing that we don't have
0: yeah and I think we tried to remind each other of that like in specific instances where It'd be like, just be as present as possible, you know, for these moments. Or, and I think meditation help definitely helps with that. Um, yeah. And it really did feel like that while we were traveling together. I mean, you just, like, everything's so novel, transient, I suppose, that you can't help be but be in the present. And I imagine, like, some people would say, "Oh, the optimal way to be is then be present all the time. And you know, i like, Eckhart Tolle has, like, the power of now and there's tons of like books on it but i thought i think it's also important to like reflect on times where you where you've gone through difficult times and then appreciate that yeah look at where i am now you've had are going to yeah exactly and look back and i heard a guy guy the other day say um if you can kind of say you're going through a hard time if you can kind of recognize that that's just a part of the human condition and see the beauty in that, then you can kind of appreciate it in a weird, weird way, because you can't have joy without having these low periods or there is no joy without sadness. and I know that all this is very like um, philosophical and trite, but I think it we is but... certainly found it to be true.
1: But Callum, um, you also, yeah. um. So I hope you're happy to talk about this. But after these travel experiences, you did have a little bit of a low, no? Yeah, yeah.
0: So and I suppose, yeah. If you're looking at it from like a neuroscience perspective, it's like you have this dopamine high. You're riding all these experiences, and then you're gonna dip below baseline after. It. And so it's only natural, um and I think that was something that I recognized and kind of helped me understand why I was the way I was, or having that low period like looking for the job and not really having like complete contrast to the travel experiences where you're kind of you're really trying to get from zero to one, trying to move from Dublin to London, get the job and but then you also recognize that like you had all these like crazy experiences as well. And I think those crazy experiences and positive experiences wouldn't be as special as they are without those low periods. And so, yeah, I think that's something to to recognize and kind of understand. And and ideally, I think this is why I we were talking earlier about having this kind of plan of these five foundations, like get your sleep right, get your exercise right, get your your nutrition right and then you kind of have a nice baseline and if you'd start dipping you kind of look at those five and go okay where and i'm sure i'm applying that now but i'm sure in probably three years i'll be like well that was a lot of nonsense that that didn't really fix my problems <laughs> but um you just learn you, you learn new things and you, you adapt when the
1: information changes like try and change your mind in hindsight now callum i'm sure it's easier to talk about that period but how do you think that one who is a little bit low after all of these peak experiences can stay motivated but also stay present and not be too focused on these comparisons that you can make with a, a better version of yourself? Look I don't have all the answers and it's it's a very difficult uh,
0: question to answer but what worked for me was really and what I would do next time is get out of inertia. So, this is like a concept in physics. Inertia is a state, I'll probably butcher this, but it's a state where the object is completely like suspended in, it has no active, activation energy. And there's going to be no potential energy because there's no activation energy. And so, you need something to kickstart you and get the ball rolling, is the classic phrase like, get the ball rolling. I could have just said that. And what I've done now is like looked across the five kind of elements, sleep, exercise, nutrition, light, and relationships. Write those five things down. I don't know, check what, how are you doing? Score them out of 10. Like, how are you doing on these things? And there's specific protocols and practices you can implement, but just look at those five and understand whether your baseline that you're setting for enjoying things or your baseline for just a good life what is it like and how could you improve it and then kind of have the i think it's important to have the humility to like recognize you're terrible at, at, at certain things so like i was listening to a podcast the other day, and they said you'd be shocked by how much better you could seem at something if you had 20 minutes to prep it you know mm. or you know there's the 10,000 hour rule but if you spent 20 hours at anything you're going to become pretty good at it so for example in work at the moment we're playing table tennis at lunch every now and again getting to know each other and it's crazy you spend like maybe a few minutes playing but you just get so much better at it if you just spend a little bit of time and then I suppose the question is what do you want to spend your time on and kind of get those but to get out of that state definitely just get the ball rolling across maybe those five elements sleep exercise nutrition light and relationships that's and awesome. the light thing that's just let's just get outside and get light within 30 to 60 minutes awake and i mean i've been applying these recently in london it's only been a month so we'll see if it's sustainable i do feel the best i've ever felt within myself um awesome. which is cool and i don't like to take credit for myself in certain ways because i think I've learned so much from like all that is from that
1: podcast with Andrew Huberman and Tim Ferriss. And <laughs> yes, you do have to implement it, but. And it took you some time, right? It took you a good. Oh yeah. Six months. It took me,
0: it took me, yeah, quite a while to get out of that state
1: yeah. of inertia.
0: Um, but I was working, I was like applying for jobs and, and uh, getting rejected and, you know, you've got you to also yeah. keep going and just know that, Taking ego hits, yeah, yeah. The ups are ahead, but you've got to kind of humble yourself and maybe look low. There's the there's the quote: "Modern people don't see God because they don't look low
1: enough." You know, (laughs) (laughs)
0: like that's yeah. But yeah, like
1: there was um, one other. Um, I'm just gonna talk about one other framework, which I'm sure you will enjoy. My uh friend told me about just a couple weeks ago that I did. And she did this at a yoga retreat and she practiced this method. It's She called it a passion test. What you do is you've got your notebook out and you have to write 20 things that you're passionate about. These are sentences. I am, I love, I have, and they're positive affirmations. You don't want to focus on the negative. I connect people or I am empathetic. I am culturally intelligent. I, I, Whatever it is for you. I'm good at sports. I enjoy chocolate. They can be completely Mm -hmm. random, but these are positive affirmations about yourself and they're things that you would probably like to keep about yourself, of course, and then you're going to have 20 statements and once you have the 20, you need to rank them all. And you're going to go, okay, number one with number two. So liking chocolate and giving to the community. And you're going to say which one's more important to you. So you're going to go one and two, one and three, one and four. And then you're going to go all the way down and you're going to go two and and three, two and four, two and five. And then you're just going to go all the way down and compare everything with each other. By the end, you're going to have, you're going to rank them from one to 20, with what got the most amount of points. And then you're going to have a top five. And then once you have a top five, You want to rank out of 10 how good you are right now at doing that. How good are you at that? And how can you, do you have room for improvement? So if it's a seven out of 10, write seven out of 10. Then you're going to have five ratings out of 10 for these statements. And then you're going to give a top three. And uh, once you've written down your top three, you're going to realize that it might not be your top three that you would have expected before you started this list. But though that's what um, is most important to you and what you have room for improvement for and it was a cool it was a cool little exercise and it's still very relevant to me and I'm going at it every day and um, hope to for the near future too but anyway sorry for going yeah away. I gotta
0: I gotta try that that sounds really good I mean I personally struggle with identifying what I'm actually passionate about and um, so that would be a good exercise and I definitely think I, I remember a friend told me that like passion doesn't just uh come like sure you have like moments of uh passion and kind of but really if you really work at something you'll get passionate about it anyway like for this ridiculous example but like I living at home in Dublin I didn't do much washing up and I, look I'm not saying I'm passionate about <laughs> doing washing up but like I've noticed living living on my own and just like doing the washing up at times like sometimes it's actually nice to do like it's it's like um a form of meditation or um yeah flow because state. i'm doing it more yeah yeah more like getting into that flow state and the more i do it i i realize oh this isn't so bad it's like um you'd be
1: surprised what what you can be passionate about if you invest yourself into it the book flow state by mihali Csikszentmihalyi. i i don't know if, if i'm pronouncing his name right but he's a hungarian author and i should be able to pronounce his name but hungarian writing is mm. just crazy <laughs> he talks about in his book how you can create flow state in absolutely anything you do and and that is done by either embracing boredom or creating games in in, in doing laundry like all right I'm going to do this in a certain amount of time or I'm going to fold them in this kind of way and mm-hmm. I think it's about enjoying the mundane and being passionate about little things not only being passionate about the things that we always want to be passionate about right
0: and if you look at it from a scientific perspective like the neuroscience perspective i mean i I haven't studied it in depth but from what i've figured out from doing a little bit of research is like basically the neural pathways in your your brain if you do something it's going to send the uh, neurochemical down a certain pathway and so you get rewarded every time you trigger that pathway and so you want to be careful what pathways you trigger and I know personally, I have loads of pathways I want to stop triggering, but it's very difficult to kind of, like, we all think we control ourselves, but really it's not that simple. Like, it's very difficult to get out of certain habits. and But you can create pathways that you wouldn't have initially thought you were passionate about.
1: Yeah. Anyway, Callum, we could probably talk forever. So I'm going to mm-hmm. move us along swiftly because I would love to hear a few of the reflections that you wrote down in your journal when we were together if mm-hmm. you can pinpoint a couple yeah so we had
0: um I wrote a diary entry for every day that we were together uh, in Bulgaria and Turkey and I'll, I'll pick out a few that I think were were interesting uh, and try not elaborate on them too much because because yeah you know, but maybe give around. a little bit <laughs> of
1: context if if they. Yeah, give some
0: context for them. So the first one I have here is ask questions that may seem stupid to some, but reveal valuable answers. And so that really is about like embracing be looking stupid sometimes mm. um,
1: to really understand something.
0: Yeah, to really under and it's like the whole similar to the explain it like on five concept or yeah, you know. Um, Accept that you're stupid at something. Try and find out more about it, and then and then see what happens. What else do we have? And that that applies definitely when you're meeting people from different countries. You kind of have to put your your preconceived notions away. Yeah. and um, and understand. Um, but this, I I see myself.
1: Oh, wow, those peacocks are really going at it. But I definitely see myself in that. Um, I'm sure everyone does. Where you act like yeah. you know something sometimes um, when you're talking to someone who's, I don't know what the topic may be, but say it's about, and you kind of act like you know so much more than you actually do. And I do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I think it's great to ask stupid questions. And especially when to traveling. More. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, what else do we have here? Do you ask uh... stupid
1: questions when you're at work?
0: yeah yeah and sometimes if it's really stupid it's like good to caveat and prepare them to understand like like be like this is going to be a really stupid question but you know <laughs> um because sometimes it can be really stupid and you're just gonna seem like away
1: with the fairies but yeah
0: yeah, yeah i've tried to embrace that i guess and in a work context
1: that- it's really important yeah. that you only ask those stupid questions once <laughs> yeah
0: exactly yeah and then you listen and you yeah, yeah
1: and you learn and, and i found my
0: i i do still find myself obviously pushing up against the barrier where i really should ask the stupid question but my little ego is saying to me oh no don't oh don't do that you know and really <laughs> you want to but i want to lean more into being able to ask stupid questions um mm. yeah um we had taken an opportunity that seems too good to be true, even when you are surrounded by other great opportunities. That was with Nelly Yavroya and, um, and going to Kostanets uh, and getting the train. There's a little spider running down my uh, phone. Um, hello. <laughs> anyway, sorry, getting distracted. Let's stay on task here. Yeah. I'll yeah. go into detail. But uh, yeah, and you had your period in, in Istanbul as well. And we have one here. Uh, Be grateful for food, what you have. It? Be grateful for what you have, even when you're really suffering. Enjoy the music and, like, embrace it. And there was a little howling dog on the floor, little doggo,
1: howling doggo yeah. kind
0: of singing away with its owner. It's the same idea we were just talking about, like, what you focus on will be what becomes consistent in your life. Mm. Um, and discipline and being, is more important than motivation at times. Yeah, and and it will become what's more what's meaningful in your life you know um what you become consistent at what was that from that was from writing a song
1: with uh chris oh, and everyone yes. okay let's um, unravel that skill that just popped out of you that i had no idea about and i don't know if you did either but that no was so cool callum so callum became this poetic artist that in it that I didn't know he had in him um which I guess we all have within ourselves if we search far enough but um Callum is a highly skilled songwriter and, I'm not sure about that but yeah okay well he's too humble but <laughs> I can vouch for that and that's from meeting this awesome guy Chris who is also a guest on the podcast who is a musician, and he's, he's, he runs a his own music school. And meeting Chris was a very, very cool uh, couple of weeks, but it was really cool what I got to see out of Callum, uh, watching that little journey from meeting Chris and starting to talk about music and unraveling this songwriting. You wrote a song together, and it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, and then I somehow stumped up the courage to sing it, but not very well like yeah, I would need to get better at it. Um and this is the thing, like if I put twenty hours of practicing into that, I'd probably get a lot better. It's whether I want to go down that route. So I need to figure out what, what I actually want. But um Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a cool moment and it definitely made me feel very vulnerable and um out of the comfort zone, like probably up there along our trip getting out of the comfort zone, in the same car with a man called Kivko, uh, who was a Bulgarian artist. <laughs> um, like he had art in a Bulgarian museum from Plovdiv, which is kind of the center of um, Bulgaria, all the way across to Varna. But on the way- Johnny, like, what happened? we went to Burgas. Or Bur- Burgas, yeah. What happened in, in the meantime?
1: so um jifko was an artist and he had some he had his own website which we'll chuck a link to in the episode description as well but jifko went wanted to pick up some wine and when he said that we were like yeah sure we thought he was just gonna go to uh oh no he said i need to pick up some wine from a friend and we were i mean Unfortunately, the gender of the person that I was picturing was just a male friend similar to his age, around the age of 50, maybe, who grows wine or who has vineyard. (laughs) We ended up going to this village called Drago de Novo in the middle of Bulgaria, a little bit off the the path to Burgas. And we went up and we left the car. He's like, yeah, come with me. And we left the car in this little uh kind of rundown village. And all of a sudden, this little Jack Russell pup ran out to us and just like jumped up into our arms and was so fucking cute. And then ah, uh, these two twins that were how old were they? They were over 80. They were like they were
0: 85. They were 85.
1: <laughs> two twins who didn't speak a word of English came out and just started ah, just like i think stroking
0: they either got like an yeah they either got an inch away from our face or they actually
1: i think they actually no they were touching my face i don't know about you but they were they were getting intimate (laughs) no but they were so sweet and um they were just treating us like their own grandchildren instantly we went in and they they fed us, they gave us wine, they gave us cake, they gave us coffee, they gave us grapes. And we had this awesome exchange of us trying to tell them, well, Zhivko spoke both Bulgarian and English. So he was translating a bit for us, but communicating about our families. And it was a very, very wholesome experience, which we had no idea was going to happen. <laughs> it was definitely up there in terms of all the
0: experiences um, and just the kindness and open-mindedness that they had. Yeah. To and Met excitement. Us, um... <laughs> they yeah. They had a lot were, of youth were... in them for 85 year old twins. Yeah. They were grinning from ear, ear to ear. like, And we were throwing the little ball for the, the Jack Russell and, I made the cake and the wine. And then I think we just, when we left that place, I remember just being in a state of bliss in Jake's yeah. car, which was his car was like, it was like something out of a movie. It was like in, intricately put together. Everything in the car, it seemed like it was intentional. Well, like especially the booth filled with wine.
1: And, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that definitely was. <laughs> yeah. um, and just these plastic bottles
1: which um, yeah, he gave us a big bottle too which was very kind and that was yeah, like <laughs> that was why i travel bro that was just so that was so cool <laughs> and yeah, that would amazing. not happen if you didn't if you just hopped on a bus to bogast you know the journey is the adventure it's not just about getting to your destination i like the quote too that it's not about the journey or the destination it's about the people it's about the people you're That's with a good one. yeah yeah, that was cool that was really cool Um, all right give us give us one more there's a lot there's a lot to choose from i
0: would say gratitude is a consequence of discomfort all right care to elaborate on that one all of these reflections are kind of it amalgamation of an amalgamation where like we we've had tons of experiences and then you're pulling like reflections like that that was written on a certain day but it could have been sitting in our subconscious whether it's a 15-hour bus journey where there's no toilet on the bus or you're going up you're trying <laughs> to climb a thousand meters in a day in the Mountains, and you're just aching what you realize is after the fact you will get that kind of positive emotion and and, uh i suppose gratitude that you experience those things and so in the case of Rila mountains we we went up you know like a thousand meters it was a seven hour trek it was really uh really tough but when we got up there we got some chocolate i think some slovenians gave us uh, wild mushrooms
1: oh the cooked mushroom was
0: just the best thing ever (laughs) there was the really cold lake that we had a swim in i think we did that the morning after but the point still stands like we got up there and the stars were just incredible and you're lying there and you're looking up at them and you realize god it really took us seven hours to get up there but now we're up here this feels great you know yeah Um, and you find that reward for everything you experienced and you can apply that across general life you know you go through good times you go through hard times and then when you're in the good times you're like well I'm kind of glad I had that bit of suffering there and I had this bit of um enjoyment there and I think that was definitely gratitude as a consequence of discomfort and it's certainly something I think both of us were trying to lean into whether it's like having that tough love aspect where we'll call each other out on something or we think one of us should improve in this way or that way. Putting <laughs> putting the ego aside and... Um, <laughs> <the> peacocks. <laughs>
1: putting, the ego, putting the ego aside. Uh, yeah, trying to uh, improve. Yeah. And what do you think was the most difficult thing, the, the biggest discomfort of all of the travels? Definitely the transient nature of it. Like, it's all very temporary.
0: And mm. You've got to keep present when you're having these amazing experiences. But then I also like the idea of, um, I think I wrote recently, or a while ago, I said, the memories of my past remain meaningfully evident in my present. Mm-hmm. And so you carry these, these memories yeah. with you. You carry them. Which is the most important thing, I think, because when you're sitting, well, hopefully, when you're very old and you're sitting there kind of about to transition into the afterlife, hopefully, you'll have a lot of memories and very little regret. And then, as a sub category of that, I think it's meeting people while traveling and then saying goodbye to them. Yeah. And yeah. And to... unfortunately
1: becoming more accustomed to those goodbyes now they don't necessarily get easier but you, you know how to deal with it a little bit better and, and, and that's a sad thing because when you really form these connections with people and you you're on the road again and then you got to restart when you got to meet someone again yeah. um and you might be really tired or sad or just emotionally drained, you know. That sometimes is tricky.
0: Yeah, you gotta kinda of go from zero to one again and
1: yeah, it's difficult.
0: But as I said, the memories of my past remain meaningfully evident in my present. And so you remember those times, you recognize how important they are to you. The good that has come from them, the bad that has come from them, and then I suppose you just embrace. It's a tricky think.
1: Well, Callum, I it's tricky, but it's also, in my opinion, <laughs> well worth it. And there's pros and cons of doing absolutely everything, and I believe that having an experience like what we experienced, definitely the pros outweigh those cons, and. I am very grateful for you I'm so happy that we did head off together and wow it was an enriching experience and I am very glad I met you and uh, then let's hope we continue pushing each other to grow even more and more
0: yeah I think just continuing (laughs) to grow a meaningful relationship and and without having to execute the peacocks that are <laughs> no, messing with you. <laughs> but, um, No, yeah, having a, a, a meaningful kind of relationship over a long period of time is definitely something that I find um, exciting and bumbling and meaningful. Yeah. Um, And just learning from people like yourself in certain realms of competency. Like I think you are highly, highly competent at traveling and the mindset (laughs) that comes with that.
1: And so it was amazing to learn from your way of going about things. I'm going to put that on the top of my CV. I am a highly competent traveler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm
0: not sure that'll get you you're too many roles in the corporate world. But I'm sure you're gonna find you're gonna find your circle of competence, and you're gonna. Um, yeah,
1: fingers crossed. Uh, and I'm very grateful yeah. for this uh, this friendship. It's a very healthy one, and let's keep pushing each yeah. other. And uh oh, no. this Zoom call is going to run out in two minutes, so I'm going to uh I'm gonna end it. But uh love you bro. And uh looking forward to chatting to you soon. Yeah, love you too.
0: And uh let's hope we get another uh, travel
1: experience together like this.
0: Yeah, and we could meet up sometime or I'm we'll waiting for you out. in
1: Canada currently. <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> Thanks, bro. <yeah>. Godspeed. Godspeed. <laughs>